Welcome to another edition of the Truth Factor Discussion. Today is episode number 292. It's good to see you with, or good to have you with us today. We'd like to thank you for your interest in things that are of a scriptural nature, a Bible nature. <clears throat> and we'd like to thank you for joining us in our efforts to factor the truth of God's Word into our daily lives. And we do recognize that we are going through some definitely turbulent times here in um, this current day and age in 2020. <clears throat> and as we go through Romans chapter 8, especially towards the last part of it, there's going to be a great admonition for Christians not to lose hope and not to give up, to recognize that nothing will be able to separate them from the love of Christ. Pardon me for one moment. I think Paul mentioned last week that we are a sterilized study. <laughs> All right, Paul, if you would take a moment and let everyone know how they can participate in today's study. I'll be glad to do that. And as we uh, are with you today, maybe you're watching on YouTube. Uh, that's a great way to find the Truth Factor discussion uh, is on YouTube. And look for Truth Factor Live if you need to find that. And there's a nice way to chat there. You may also uh, be watching on Facebook and make comments. That's another way that you can interact with us. That's also Truth Factor Live. And I believe we have a Twitter handle at Truth Factor Live as well. And so we hope that you'll uh, not only watch, but that you'll subscribe, that you'll click on notifications, and you'll know whenever we go live. And maybe you're a person who likes to email, and you can send us questions at truthfactorlive.com, and that will come to us so that we can answer your questions or any one of us, Brian, Mike, John, or Paul, at truthfactor.com. We'll be happy to uh, see your email and uh, try to respond to it uh, as best we can. The email is especially helpful if you're watching this at a later date and not live. And so thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to your interaction with us as we study today from Romans chapter 8. Thank you, Paul. I just realized I have an issue with our home, with my home setup, with our email addresses, I've lost the overlay. So I'll need to correct that <laughs> at a later time. I say I've lost the overlay, but it just gives you that, not the white background. So we'll still throw it up from time to time. All right. So let's see. We left off last week in Romans chapter eight. We are in verse eighteen, and in this particular section here, we're going to be considering the hope of the glory that is to be revealed. So we'll be looking at that. So let's go ahead and get our reading done. And Mr. Mike, would you mind reading for us, beginning in verse 18 of Romans 8, and let's read down through verse 25. I think you're muted, Mike. Because I'm home, I'll be reading from King James but it reads about the same in the New King James, beginning at verse 18. And that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, 
which have uh, which have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? All right. Go ahead and read verse 25 too. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. All right. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Let's see. I believe we are going to have a chat room question to share with you. So let me pop that up on the screen. Thank you, Brian, for copying that and making that available. Well, that's Gregor's comment from last time. Sorry. All right. Hang on just a second. One minor adaptation. And here we go. Now let's try it again. There we go. Here's a chat room question for this section. How would you explain the hope described in verses 24 through 25? How would you hope, how would you explain the hope that is described in verses 24 through 25? All right, so we will monitor that for your answers and your thoughts on that as we go through this particular section here. All right, so when we're looking at chapter 8, beginning in verse um, 18 in the section here, he talks a good bit about hope. But before he does, he makes the comment there, and let me bring this up here on the screen again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Or Mike, in simple terminology, what is he meaning in verse 18? What's he saying there? In the context of this, John is under a great deal of persecution. Uh, he knows that he will be eventually coming to Rome as a prisoner. Uh, it's my understanding that as he wrote this letter, he was a prisoner of the government and persecuted because of per preaching the, uh, the gospel of Christ. Well, such persecution sometimes destroys people's faith. Paul at verse 18 doesn't look at it that way at all. He says... To, to reverse the statement of the, of the passage. When I look at the glory which shall be revealed in us as children of God, these present sufferings and persecutions mean nothing. In several other places of Paul's writings, he says, I'd far rather go be with God. It's far better, nonetheless, to abide in the flesh and more needful for the people with whom he was laboring. In this present distress of 2020, we ought to be able to understand that. Some of us are quite limited in what we're allowed to do, how many people can gather in our places of assembling. Uh, older brethren especially are quite distressed that they can't be with the brethren and such. And while that is horrible persecution, uh, and not in the sense that we had in the first century, of course, but it's it still limits our abilities to be Christians, the fact is, we only live one day at a time anyway. And as we live, whatever day God grants us, give that to the honor and glory of God, because what's laid out in store for us once this old life is over, God's promise says, be thou faithful unto death, I'll give you a crown of righteousness. You can't beat that. Yeah, That's a body. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 
body. It's uncorruptible. It's it is like Christ is, 1 John 2, verse 3. You just can't beat going to heaven. And that's what Paul's talking about. Okay. I appreciate that, Mike. I think it's a very good explanation of that. That's what keeps that's what kept Paul driving forward. Absolutely. Forward. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask Brian this question. Brian, do you know what the word translated as hope means? Uh, well, what a great question. Um, I, uh, I, I should have looked something up to get well, a better answer on that. If you, if Mike, read seconds. verse 19 for me. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, let me get back over there. Um, sorry. <laughs> for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of mm. the sons of God. So if you were to look up the Greek word translated as hope, I think... It means earnest expectation or an expectation, so, doesn't it? So you're right. So the Greek word is elpis, from uh, the word to anticipate with pleasure, expectation, um, or confidence. So the thing that we're certain of, uh, that we're looking forward to with joy. Yeah. You know, a lot of times in, in the last couple, in the last sermon or two, um, I've kind of made this point. Hope, you know, Brian, when we think about hope, we... Sometimes we think about um, a wish. You know, as a kid, I hope to get a bicycle, or I hope for this or hope for that. But really, the hope used in the Bible is not a wish. There's a reasonable expectation and an earnest expectation behind that. Um, and I think sometimes as Christians, we, we in, sometimes we may have a tendency of viewing heaven as something we wish that we will be able to do, not an expectation. Because, as Mike pointed out a while ago, and what we see in the text here. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of people in the world that kind of look at heaven almost like a winning the lottery or something. Well, it's, it's what I hope happens. You know, we might use the term that way. But when the scripture uses the word hope, it means something very different. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul states that there's, there's really one hope that we all have. And uh, the important idea is it's, the, it's the, the confidence that we have that God does what he says he will do. And, and that's the great hope that we have. I think that's a good way of putting it. And that's, as Christians, that's what drives us, drives us forward there. All right, let's right, see. Right. And, and we, mm -hmm. oh, Go ahead. I was just going to add to say that, that, that that's really what it's all about. Uh, fundamentally, we're not Christians because it's great in this life. It does bring us rewards in this life, to be sure. But, but ultimately, uh, being here, being service to Christ the one thing that we hope to get out of it is that in the next life we're with him. And uh, that, that can't be lost sight of because there are times where people, uh, you know, lose sight of what, what it's all about. And as long when you lose sight of what this is about, you can be certain that at some point something will derail you because, because if you don't keep your eye on that prize, that single reward, that inheritance, uh, it's not, nothing is going to be worth it, you know, because, because everything in this life fades at some point, even the good things, uh, can go away and, and we can be left without them. It's it's purely the reward in the next life that is the one thing that is unalterable, unchangeable, absolute. Um, what apostle comes to mind that serves as a perfect physical illustration of what happens when you take your eye off Christ? Uh, I think it may be Peter or Judas or... Uh, so you get it, it leaves you with a sinking feeling 
when you look away. Oh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, Peter, as he walked on the water, that's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, I appreciate the help there. <laughs> well, you were floundering. And, so, yeah, I was floundering. It was, it was a stormy response. The, I, I've often thought about Peter as, as an example of the very thing we're talking about. When he was looking at Christ, this man was able to walk on water. I mean, that's an impossibility except for it being a miracle. But when he looked away, he sank. That's 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 a fan. It is really a fantastic illustration. There's a lot of things you can play with that uh, to see. Yeah, that's right. Um, all right. Well, let me let me uh, jump over then to Paul for just a moment, and and this kind of pertains to the rest of the the section here, Paul. When um, in this section, the Apostle Paul uses the term creation. Um, what well, essentially, it's kind of a two twofold thought here. Help me understand this a little bit. Um, first off, who do you think he's talking about when he refers to the create to to the creation within the context of this? It's it's very challenging thought. Well, are you thinking uh, maybe in terms of mankind? Uh, and the frustration of mankind, uh, or are you thinking about something bigger than that? Well, that, that's that's what I kind of struggle with a little bit. It, initially, it sounds like the whole of creation, the whole of the universe, is watching for the day that mankind will be redeemed. Okay, but at the same but at the same time, one might argue that he's focusing down on mankind himself, and and but but I don't know about that. I'd be interesting to hear some other thoughts if when he says, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Um, the, the purpose of the creation was for man. Uh, and so, you know, man was to subdue uh, the earth. And so maybe there's a, a sense there in which uh, in looking at that, when you think, when you think about everything that was made, you know, the six days of creation on the seventh, how God rested, that everything was made for man, and so uh, in that sense, and so maybe uh, there's some kind of a thought there that uh, the whole purpose of all of this is to get man to a a better place than he is now. Well, Paul, that, oh, go ahead, Mike. Could I jump in a little bit? Sure. Um, with that, John, notice notice that it's kind of a thread here, beginning at verse 21 down through 23, the creature and we're talking mankind here, never satisfied. Mankind always wants to progress into something better, something more comforting, something more satisfying and all. And so at verse 21, the creature itself was delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Well, not all creatures were because not all creatures accepted the gospel. But those that did, those that accepted under patriarchal law and mosaic law, those that accepted God's way were changed and improved. But the world didn't see any improvement for a while. They kept searching for it through idolatry and such. So Paul says, verse 22, the whole creation groans and prevails in pain together until now. Even those that have obeyed the gospel still aren't satisfied because the Christian knows there's always something better with Christ. The world simply seeking something better, period. So at verse 23, not only they, not only the world, 
But we ourselves also, we want something better. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We're members of the church. We've been baptized. We have become the first fruits of righteousness, if you will, by being baptized, rising to walk in newness of life. Even we ourselves, grown in ourselves, waiting for the adoption, in other words, to wit, the redemption of our body. While this body's fine, that glorious body from God, that immortal body, that uncorruptible body, that's even better. No aches, no pains, we talk about that, no tears and that type of thing. We relate that all physically. But look at First John, I believe it's the third chapter that tells us, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He's a spiritual, that is, Jesus is a spiritual being. We're physical, and I'm looking for the redemption of this body to become eternal with God. It's far better. That's why verse 24 and 25 are here. That is our earnest expectation. Okay. Well, Mike, that's a good explanation. Well, what is the possibility that the whole, in this whole context, when Paul talks about the creation, he's actually talking about Christians, the body of Christ, or us, the saved and physical bodies? Well, it, it, it's still the same thing. Yeah. Christians need to understand you're not going to be in this body forever. Throughout, throughout Scripture, this body goes back to the dust from whence it came and the spirit to the God who gave it. The Christian, especially those of us that understand that we've been born, raised, educated under the new law of Christ, that's, that's the environment in which we dwell, we have to understand that God doesn't expect us to be an earthly kingdom. We're a spiritual kingdom. And this body's going to decay. That's why Paul said, I'd far rather die, go be with Christ, it's far better. And when he last wrote, as far as secular history is concerned, last letter he wrote is to Timothy, he said, I'm, all, I'm ready. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith, which it could underscore as being the most important. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, but not to me only unto all them that love his appearing, so that you, Paul, Brian, myself, all others that are Christians, while we enjoy this earthly life and the fellowship that we have with each other in Christ, it can't be compared to the glories that await us eternally. Yeah. You know, I think that's a good explanation. It's kind of like when, when you go on a, you make the decision to go on a three-week vacation because it sounds like a good idea. After the first week, everything's are okay. Midway through the second week, you wishing you were home. Yeah. On into the third week, well, you're having fun, but man, you really want to get home. It doesn't feel right, and that should yeah. we shouldn't get too comfortable in our fleshly bodies. I mean, we we do, but we should have that 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 nagging feeling, if you would, based on our well, knowledge that there's right. something better. You know. Since I've got a few years on all of you, and I keep saying that every once in a while. You remember the old hymn, maybe you're old enough to remember the old hymn, that there's a line in it that said, sometimes I grow homesick for heaven. And that's the idea that I think Paul's in this, in this text. 
we, we in our in our private chat while we were waiting for the program to begin, we talked about how that presently we are in perilous times, deciding whether or not to have assemblings or not have assemblings, and worrying about the old folks or, or the young people that don't realize that they're compromised. You know, they, these are serious matters. This coronavirus is not just a little cold that you get over with in a day or two. This is a deadly virus that's never been around before. Decisions have to be made. You got to act courteously, wisely, and, and just use common sense. By the same token, those of us that are steadfast in the faith say, if we die, we die, because it's far better to go be with God. Do I want to stay in the flesh? Sure. Paul said it's more needful. I've got grandchildren I want to teach the gospel to. By the same token, if the world can't see that I'm ready to go to heaven, then what are they seeing in me? That's a good point. It's a very good point. Uh, Brian, any thoughts? You know, I uh, so you guys are very interesting things you're saying. I was going to ask a question, but Mike kind of explained what uh, what I was wondering about, about the idea of whether the creature here or the creation, it depends which translation you use, is is the creation or in general or specific to the new creation that it is Christ. Um, you guys kind of opened my eyes a little bit. I always, I usually saw this as the creation itself, that uh, part of the revelation of the sons of God, and I kind of saw it here at verse 19 as a contrast of the, the creation's hope, uh, the creation itself, the physical creation's hope, at the revealing of the sons of men, that the promise of the new heavens and the new earth are what he's talking about here. So I... Um, but but like I said, I'm really find it interesting to see creation or creature as the as the concept of the of the new the new person that we will be uh, at the revelation of Christ too. That's also a very interesting way of looking at it. Uh, and so I'm I'm going to think about that a while. So as I said, typically though, what I have seen here is I always saw this as the concept that even the creation itself was subject to the curse uh, that was brought upon man, and uh, you know the that the ground would bear forth you know, the, the thistles, et cetera, uh, all animals would, would then, you know, consume flesh to survive, things like that. So that the creation itself was submitted to the futility of, of life and death and that the new heavens and the new earth will be a creation that's not. Uh, so, so I saw it a little differently and I'll be thinking about what you guys had to say. I appreciate your perspective. Well, I'm, I'm not certain which way I, I would fall either. Um, when we were reading through this, it was the idea of the new creation that kind of popped to mind. But um, it's, there are several times in the scriptures that the writers will, what's the term, personify, they, they, they will add human features to material objects. And like Jesus, you know, like, like the Jesus talks about the rocks would rise up and praise him, you know. Taking the inanimate objects and adding a, a personage to them, and this is kind of what Paul does here. If it's talking about the creation itself, if well, it's talking if about us, talking then it'd be different. Yeah. If he is talking about creation itself, what hope does the tree, the grass, the animals, the creeping thing, the birds? What hope do they have of an eternity with God? Right, they will. Well, and like I said, there is the language of the new does. heavens and the new earth. That's yeah, what I was kind of creature that has any of that hope that expectation is the child of God. And, and may I underscore the faithful child of God, 
because the unfaithful child of God surrenders it. Yeah. Thinking about some other scriptures there, I was thinking about uh, how we are created in Christ Jesus uh, for good works. And mm -hmm. if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Correct. And those passages kind of seem to lend some light uh, to how we may view this, I suppose. Yeah. I think so. I think so, too. All right. Uh, the last thing real quick on this section here, just to kind of drive this home here real quick, and then we'll go to the comments from the chat room there. Take note of verse 24. All right. Talking about the redemption of our bodies. We are the children of God through that spirit of adoption. He says, for we are we're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? It is this earnest expectation that we eagerly wait with perseverance for the coming of the Lord, the revelation of these things. All right. Brian, did we have any replies to our chat room question? Yes, we did. Uh, we have Gregor in our uh, YouTube chat that got back with us with an answer on this. So the question mm -hmm. was, how would you explain the hope described in verses 24 and 25? Gregor's response was, heaven... Or matter spiritual. First Corinthians 4 and verse 18 looks not only to what is uh, unseen, but as Revelation describes, unimaginable. So, uh, Gregor, we, we would agree that that does seem to be uh, exactly the hope that we're, we're thinking about. That's a good answer. I appreciate it. Hey, John. It. Yes, Paul. Uh, I, we're probably both old enough to uh, remember the, uh, the ketchup commercial where they're waiting for it to finally start coming out of the bottle. And they say, anticipation is making you wait. You know, you're not going to give up because you're anticipating how good that ketchup is going to be. Now, that's, that's of course, uh, I'm not meaning that in any kind of a flippant way. <clears throat> but that's the concept yeah. uh, only on a huge scale, that anticipation of what God has for us as hope uh, is making us wait. That's a good illustration. A lot we could say about that, but I'll say that's a good illustration. <laughs> good example. All right. So let's see. The next section here will take us from verses 26 down through verse 30. And let's see. Paul, since you are up on the forefront, I'm going to have you, if you would, to read those verses for us. Be glad to do that, uh, John. You said 26 through what? 30. Romans 8, beginning at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. All right, Paul, I appreciate that. All right, let's see. The chat room question. Brian, what did we have for that one? 
our chat room question is this. Uh, does verse 28 mean nothing bad will ever happen to a Christian? And the second part of that is how do you know? Uh, we know what it means. Okay, yeah. I think it's something first to consider. And I'll tell you, one of the, one of the biggest... And I'm not going to use the word struggle because it's not been a struggle or, if you would, a, a trying of my faith. But I'll say this, which one of the biggest struggles or things, challenges, whatever, <clears throat> has to do with prayer. You, you look out in the world and everywhere you look, you see people who call themselves Christians. And, you know, this woman had a goiter and she prayed to God and the goiter went away. You know, this person's loved one was on death's door and they prayed to God and the person was saved. This one's cat was stuck in a tree and they prayed to God and it fell into their arms. I mean, just, I'm, not, I'm being a little bit exaggerative there, but you understand the point. And then I face a challenge within my life. And I pray to God and I pray to God. And the one I'm praying for dies. And immediately you want to say to yourself, now wait a minute. What's up with this? I've been faithful all my life. I have struggled and, and I have worked to serve the Lord. You know, and you start getting into the, I have done this and I have done that. And then you want to say, why not grant this one thing? But then really reality, you step back and realize it doesn't work that way. That what God finds most important isn't our loved ones, isn't our cats in the trees, isn't this, isn't that. It is the well-being of our souls. And so when we stop and think about prayer, we stop and think about when we pray to God, we need to make sure we keep everything in proper perspective and trust the Lord. Now, what we're about to read, right, I think kind of leads into illustrating that trusting in the Lord. And, Brian, I, I've got some questions here. I know you'll be able to answer them for me. Um so I'm, I'm, I'm just really working on this, and I want you to, to help me out here with this. So, likewise the, Spirit, right you get <laughs> likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. All right. How? So, so there's a couple of ways people will look at this passage. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll throw out two, uh, two different paths, and uh, that way I can be a fence-sitter. So the first way we consider is the Spirit is is manifested to us through the Word of God. We know that then since this, the Word of God is inspired by God, that the concept of the Spirit of God is present within it. He, therefore, he is manifested, made known to us through the Word of God. So one of the important ideas here might be the idea of how it is that we are taught how to pray. We don't naturally know how to pray. The natural man does not know how to pray. But the Word of God teaches us how we ought to pray. We might, for example, consider that in a place like James 5, where he says the uh, the, uh, uh, I just forgot the verse. <laughs> just blanked out on it. Uh, the uh, help me out, guys. Uh, James five prayer. The uh, the latter part of it. Yes, yeah. That's a prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the one, Mike. Thank you very much. That's embarrassing, but that that was it. You know the the concepts here one, that we we. <laughs> <laughs> We, we look at concepts in that statement like uh, fervent, uh, uh, the righteous man, concepts that speak about, the, uh, about how it is that we are to pray. We're supposed to pray uh, within certain concepts of our conduct. If we're not right with God. God doesn't hear our prayer. You know, we, we see repeatedly throughout the scriptures ideas like that about the, the importance of, of our, our personal behavior, uh, that our prayers aren't hindered, 1 Peter chapter 3. So 
we have that concept. We have the idea of how we're praying. We're praying to the Father through the Son. Uh, the Spirit's revealed those things to us. So, so first of all, we might say that the Spirit works by revealing to us how to pray. And then the things that we are to pray for, because it has to be within the will of God. Um, I seem to freeze up a little bit on my end. Am I okay there? So far. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, So so then the second half of this is the idea, too. Some people would see that perhaps because uh, there's some way in which the Spirit dwells within us, uh, we we talked about this before by faith or, you know, like I said, in some indiscernible way that, that it characterizes us, perhaps, too, there's this sense where that that also creates a form of intercession. And I think that that I think either of these ideas are within the uh, shall I say the pale of orthodoxy are within the 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 concepts of Scripture. So long as we understand that that this is not saying that there's some um, there's some way in which, you know, we can be taught to pray without learning it from the word of God, or that we can have a manifestation of the spirit that's apart from that. I think as long as we stay away from those ideas, either way of looking at this, that the spirit teaches us how to pray through the word, or in some indiscernible way, the spirit's presence makes our prayers uh, powerful. I think either of those would be an acceptable answer. Okay. I like what you said, except you answered, you gave the wrong answer. <laughs> but you answered my second question. <laughs> now think about this. I'm, I'm being I'm being very facetious. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. My question was how. The answer, but we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's the answer to the question. How? It's an easy but, answer, and I missed it. Yeah, but then the greater question is how does the latter half work? <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's the thing, and Brad, I, I, I like the explanations that you gave. What I, and you've said this before. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, there are things we can for say we can for certain say the Holy Spirit does not do. Okay, so we talk about the abiding within us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Passages like this, we know what the Holy Spirit does not do. You know the miraculous workings and so forth. But what bugs me is when you'll have an individual say, yeah, that's what Paul wrote, but that's not what Paul means. You know, so I think the best way we should handle this, Brian, is simply, and and both your answers are good ones, but I think when we say, how does the Holy Spirit make intercession for us with groanings which we cannot be uttered? My answer is, I don't know. Paul said it happens. And so there's something that happens. And beyond that, I can't give you any any explanation. Of the Spirit of God. So I, I, I appreciate the the options there, the alternatives the way people view that. I don't know that I uh, I can lend much clarity to that, uh, but I do know that there are times uh, that all of us experience uh, hurts or dilemmas or quandaries that we don't we just don't know what is best. Uh, and the Spirit here it says makes intercession for us with groanings. Which cannot be uttered. Uh, we don't know what we should, how we should pray as we ought. So, I, and there have been a lot of times that I don't know what I should pray, how I should pray, uh, what what answer, you know, I, I, not even what answer, but just uh, what what I'm hopeful for. And, and maybe maybe that's not exactly what Paul meant, but that's how I've I've kind of taken the view of this is that uh, there are times that maybe the hurt is so terrible that you just can't put it into words, but God can know how bad our hurt is through intercession. 
there's times at which uh, the situation is too complex for our human mind to know what is really best. And uh, so we take that to God. And, and I find myself as I've aged, not that I'm old, uh, but as, as I've aged, uh, that I've kind of started praying more, um, you know, Lord, this is in your hands and, and you're wise and you can, you can know what's right and, and uh, just please help. Well, Paul, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, and it's look at verse 27 real quick and then we'll move on. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Trust the Lord, you know, and, 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 you know, I think your, your statement while ago just now about sometimes we don't know what to pray, how to pray. You know, part of that is casting our cares on to the Lord, as Paul writes in other areas. And that goes a long way to giving us peace and comfort. Okay. All right, let's see. Let's come back to the text here real quick. What is our time? We've got about 15 minutes. Let's see if we move on here. Um, the latter half of this, verses 28 and 29. Um, and this, this may go a long way to kind of discussing what we just read or what we were talking about. When everything is said and done, and, and, and we're dealing with troubles, distresses, persecution. This is what Paul was talking about a while ago. Dealing with these things right here. We know, Paul writes, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called in accord to his purpose. All right. And then um, he talks about how God foreknew Christ. Um, he was predestined to be confirmed in the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called, whom he called, these he justified, these he justified, he also glorified. So this comes back to a trust in God. When we face whatever trials we face, we ultimately trust in him for our glorification, for our justification, and we don't allow anything to, to betray us or to lead us away from God and his everlasting love, as the next title section kind of suggests. All right, any thoughts or comments on this section, guys, before we move on? to the next section. Your thoughts? Okay. Let's read then beginning in verse 31, and this will then take us to the we end of the chapter. We want to get our chapter. chat question. Oh, yes. Did we have an answer for that? We do. We do. In fact, Gregor Hinckley gave us one in YouTube chat. All right. Let me bring up the question. Does verse 28 mean nothing bad will ever happen to a Christian? How do we know? What did Gregor say, Mr. Bryan? Uh, Gregor asked you to define bad. Uh, <laughs> He said, we will suffer. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament describe we will be persecuted and have suffered. Experiencing these in Christ leads to eternal salvation. Okay. <laughs> That's a good call. What I mean by bad is a very general term. Okay. In my life, most bad things that have happened haven't been because of the cause of Christ. Okay. It's... Um, things going wrong, things breaking, me making bad choices, you know, things like that. So um, the water heater breaks in the middle of the night, floods your house, you know, things like that. You get sick, you get cancer, things like that. But then there are bad things that can come because of our choices to serve God. Um, and so ultimately, none of those things will separate us um, from God. Yeah. 
John, you were asking about a comment on these last three verses. I'd just say that the previous verses, how God uh, and the Spirit makes intercession because we don't always know how we should pray or what we should pray. Uh, these verses, I think, are telling us, you know, not that nothing bad will ever happen, but as, as we look down through here, uh, rather that God always has our best interest in mind. Uh, that, you know, all things work together for good. Uh, he renew, he predestined, uh, he uh, justified, he, he will glorify. Uh, we see all this kind of idea that God always has our best interest at heart. Okay. And I appreciate you, Claire, your clarification of that. I kind of phased out when I was trying to give, you know, make my statement and realize what I said had nothing to do with the verse that we're looking at there. Uh, the, the question was based on 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Does this mean that bad things will never happen? Absolutely not. This is talking about the more important things. And Paul, you did a good job explaining that. All right. Who's down for reading? I think it's Paul's turn. So, Mr. Paul, if you would, let's take us to the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 31. And let's read down through verse 39, if you would. I did read last. I don't want to deprive anyone else Ooh. of an opportunity. I'll be happy to read if you'd like. I'm afraid Brian may get upset. I think he <laughs> is his turn. Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? As it is written, for your day, uh, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. Thank you, Mr. Brian. Okay, let's go ahead and prep the chat room question for this last section here. Um, and it's kind of a long one, so it'll, it may take a minute for it to process through the system here. But it's going to be based on a statement in verse 31. So let's see. And Brian is dropping that in now. <clears throat> I'm letting the uncomfortable silence reign. I had to reduce it. It was too big for the uh, for YouTube chat. Was it really? Okay. But it took it to the Facebook, yeah, it didn't like it? Just a couple of, uh, okay. I did. Uh, Facebook went all the way. But. Okay. I've, I've hit that before with the YouTube chat, and so I it was, it was a little bit too long then. Verse 31 asks the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? In context, the answer is no one. However, outside this immediate context, could the answer be different? Outside of this context, could the answer of no one actually be a different 
answer. That's kind of a trick question, and hopefully if you think the same way that I do, it'll, <laughs> it'll come to mind. All right. And I'm not bragging on the way that I think. It's not always been very helpful. All right, let's see. Brian, since I've got you up on the screen here. So after everything that Paul has, Paul has said leading up to this point, he then asks kind of a kind of a sum, summation here with this. If God is for us, who can be against us? What does Paul do beginning in verse 32? He, he kind of explains that God did something to ultimately put a hedge, if you would, around us, sort of. What's the question? What did he do? Verse 32. To, to put oh, well, that well, he, well, he, hedge he did not spare his own son. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so so in other words, uh, he's saying here that uh, how on earth could, could God be against us if he was so for us that he gave his own son? Yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and that's the point. Look at the terminology there that he uses in the text there. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. All right. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Um, he goes on, talks about, you know, um, I'll ask Mike this one. Can anyone bring a charge in the context here against God's elect? No, not really. If we're in Christ, they... <laughs> They may accuse us of something. They may chastise us because we're not walking in their way. But they can't successfully prove any guilt about us if we're serving Christ. It's just like with Christ himself. Pilate examined him. If you count him, there's some eight mock trials that Jesus went through, and they all came to the same conclusion. I find no fault in him at all. That's what Paul's saying is, if you're doing what God says do, who can prove anything against you? Yeah. There, there are three things, Mike, in, in this text that Paul kind of uh, points out here. In verse 32, God gives us all things. And that's going to be all things within context. Verse 33, only God is our judge. Man is right. not. And the next one, only God can condemn us or God can right. justify us. Um, right. No one else can because of Jesus Christ. Well, I take it all back to verse 28. John, if our absolute conviction is in the fact that all things are going to work together for good to those of us that love God, those of us who are the called according to his purpose, mm -hmm. then there isn't anything to fear. That's right. Perfect love casts out fear, and our perfect love with Christ is the same from him to us as ours needs to be toward him. That's um, right. There again, to put it into perspective, uh, of, of this present uh, concern, there are those individuals, and frankly, as we discussed uh, off air, the elderly are the ones that teach the younger that, hey, I'm not going to be scared, of this, so I'm going to church. And yet they're the most vulnerable. We don't want anybody getting sick over this thing. We don't want to expose anybody to it. But by the same token, where's our faith? Where's our courage? Where's our understanding? that when we do what's wise and wholesome and holy in God's sight, 
there isn't a person on earth that condemn us can, that can successfully condemn us for rightly serving God. That's right. That's exactly right. And that ultimately, that's the point that he's building up to in this text. And, and I, like, I love the connection with verse 28. Oh, verse 28 yeah. holds it true to the context, and that's what he's talking about. Yeah, and, and that's why when you're going down through the rest of the chapter, I'm not going to take it away from the, from the rest of you, but when you get down to verse, uh, well, actually from 35 on through, mm-hmm. you have 37, just let me say quickly, you can't be a conqueror without fighting. And we fight the good fight of faith. We conquer those obstacles that are opposed to us. And we just keep on marching through. We're marching to Zion. That's right. That's exactly right. All right. Let's see. Any other thoughts or comments as we pull these final? And I like what Mike said. Any other thoughts or comments about that from Brian or Paul? Um, You know, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Paul. I just said I don't have any, so uh, I'll hand it right over back to Brian. <laughs> no, and, and I really don't have anything either. Um, I, I think it's a remarkable passage to consider. I think fundamentally the things that he's talking about that can be against us are the divine things that can be against us. And I think maybe I don't want to step on it, but I almost wonder if that's perhaps your point in the chat question, too, uh, uh, that the concept here is that you know, it's really only God that can bring the accusation against us. And he says, well, don't worry about that because God's the one who justified you by faith. You know, it's really only God, uh, Christ, who could uh, uh, who could condemn us. You know, he says, well, don't worry about that because Christ is the one who who bought you from your sin. So so the whole point is, if you know, if you're on the side that's going to win, you don't have to worry about losing. Um, but uh, as I said, that, that let's let's let the chat get to that. Yeah, I'll give you a hint. It's not what Brian said. <laughs> At least what I'm looking for. <laughs> Brian, you're going to go like, oh, that's what he meant. I got to remember, that's how that guy thinks. It's not normal. <laughs> All right. All right. So, just a couple more things here, real quick. And I, I like what Mike just said. The point that Paul is making here in the text look at verse 35 as he builds this up. Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ. And I like, it doesn't say who shall separate us from Christ, but he talks about who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Therefore, he's talking about what Christ did for us and the salvation and the protection that is brought, the one who makes intercession for us. And he mentions tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or short. Some of the things we may go through because of our Christianity, other things we may go through that's not related to our Christianity, but yet are uh, just a way of life. And we may find ourselves at some point thinking, where is God in all this? You know, as, as it is, um, you'll notice there, your Bible probably has a little footnote there for this statement here of it being from Psalms 44, verse 22 there. You may say to yourself, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. God, where are you during our times of difficulty? And the reality is, he's not gone anywhere. We're still conquerors. We might be lying in the desert dying, but we are still more than conquerors because nothing listed here can separate us from the love of God. And really nothing but one thing, <laughs> what I'm looking for, can separate us from the love of God, not even death can. 
All right, any thoughts or comments about this particular section? Um, Mike, you got anything else on this? As I've said before, it is absolutely the greatest encouragement that any Christian can have to know that if you're serving God and God accepts your service, anybody in the world can chastise that successfully. Keep serving God. Okay. All right. Brian? No? Paul, any final thoughts on this section? This is such a neat chapter, especially this last half. I really appreciate the study today. It is a uh, faith reaffirming and, and trust reaffirming kind of chapter, and it helps us to put things in the right focus, even in a time like this, that there are unprecedented, at least in our lifetimes, kinds of things going on. Yeah, and, and, and we need to understand that, and I think that's a very good point. Even during this time of distress, congregations are choosing to not meet to keep from getting other members of the congregation potentially sick that's not separating them from the love of Christ. Okay. No. It's just hindering a time of worship. They will continue it. We will continue forward and onward. But it, it is good to know during these times of difficulties that no matter what happens, even if we were to lose a loved one, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. All right, well, let's go to the chat room and see if anybody, did we have a, a reply there, uh, Brian? We do. Uh, Gregor, uh, once again, is uh, helping us out here. Um, and uh, just double checking nothing in Facebook. Gregor's got an answer. He says, no thing can stand against us. In Christ, we are forgiven of all sins, so no conviction of sin. God's promise is for eternity and a new life. Physical trials, sure, but eternity is forever. Okay. All right. That's a good answer. All right, John, we want to know what your answer is. <sighs> okay. In the question, I, I put the quotes around no one, okay? There's one person that can separate us from the love of Christ, and that's me. That, that, that's the answer that I'm looking for there. Um, outside of me, nothing can separate, can separate me from the love of Christ. As long as I walk in fellowship with him, my soul will end up eternally with him in heaven, and he will watch over it like a, 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 a baby bird beneath its mother's wings. He will always watch over my soul. But if I walk away from him and turn away, then the love of Christ is not going to be able to help me unless I choose to come back. Some may disagree with that, but that's my understanding of it. What do you think, Brian? I think that's right. Uh, I think no, nothing can separate us but uh, but ourselves. Uh, as far as being against us, um, I was kind of thinking maybe you were thinking more of the idea that, that many things are against us, which is the original uh, statement he makes there. Who can be against us? Well, we have yeah. an adversary in the devil. I do think, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is we ourselves uh, oftentimes, uh, yeah. you know, put through that. Others cause us to stumble things like that. That's I was, I was kind of considering, you know, those kinds of answers, but certainly what can separate us from the love of God. Uh, and you know, that, that would come down to uh, the last verse 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God, except us ourselves. And that's yeah. uh, certainly the right answer. You know, and, and that's a very good point. I did ask that based on verse 31, who can be against us? Not so much verse, the last verse there, but it would still, um, and, and there are many right. things that can be against us, but they don't stop us. We're the only ones that stop yeah, ourselves. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. All righty, then. Let's see. 
I think that brings us to the end of our study. Uh, we are going through very difficult times. Um, it's, it's hard to comprehend what we're going through. There was an article written about how churches dealt with the Spanish flu back in the early 1900s. And it, it was a very wide epidemic um, that, that, that caused a lot of deaths. And um, I can't remember now where the article is. It came out in the last couple of days. Um, you can Google uh, how churches dealt with uh, the Spanish flu or something like that. And so this isn't the first time that this has happened. Um, and it won't be the last time unless the Lord comes prior to it. There will be something else coming along at some point. So what we have to remember to do is trust in God. You know, make wise decisions, have, use wise judgment, but trust in the Lord. All right, any final thoughts or comments before we close today's study? Paul, we'll start with you. All right. Uh, as uh, I think all of us could probably share, at 7 p.m. Eastern time, uh, we will be going live uh, with a uh, online Bible study because we're not going to meet in person. And if you went to ellisvillechurchofchrist.com, you could see that and uh, see the link there to our live study. And would appreciate you uh, joining us. I'll be at the office, not here with Bentley. Uh, but I'll be at the office and I'll be going live. Then it's an interactive live uh, discussion on the Colossians chapter one tonight. And so look forward to any who could join us for that. It's 7 p.m. Eastern time. And our link is on the Ellisville Church of Christ website. Okay. All right. Appreciate that. Uh, Mike, let's pop to you. We will have services at Orleans tonight. Unfortunately, uh, we just don't have the capabilities to live stream, interact, and all of that. We're kind of a rural group down there. But we do urge caution. If you're elderly, if you've got the sniffles, if you've got kids that have had the flu, uh, cold, whatever, be courteous and kind and use your, use your wisdom that God gave you and stay at home. For the rest of us, we're going to meet and uh, trust God and We'll have our Bible study at Romans 15. Okay. And Brian? Nothing more to add. Thanks for the study today, guys. Okay. I will I will throw out there that at Seminole Point, we have, um, the elders have made the, the decision to, um, as the term is used, suspend all services until April 5th. Uh, it was one we struggled with. And did not, and of course, I don't know of any eldership that may have, that has made that decision without a lot of a lot of struggles, obviously. Um, but we will live stream. I'll be ahead of Paul by an hour because I'm on Central Time, or I'll be behind Paul an hour. That's it. So, so what you're saying is they could watch the Bible study from Ellettsville and then follow it right up with the Bible study from Seminole Point. That's right. There you and, go. and I'll watch your study and come along and correct it. That'd be great. Probably... <laughs> you know, Paul Paul does a really good job with the interactive study because there's been a time or two I've, I was able to catch it because of the snow and stuff like that. And I think, how does he get people to comment? I'll try to have an interactive study and, and ask a question and crickets. And maybe I get impatient with waiting and, and move on. So I'll try to do I, a little it, better tonight. It is a challenging thing because I've got – a cell phone going with text coming in and, and Facebook messages and sometimes YouTube messages, but it's a chatty bunch in, in the end. So, 
Well, you're just, you're that type of person. You bring the best out in people. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for our study today. If all goes according to plan, we will be in Romans chapter nine next Wednesday. And that'll be um, for here locally, 11 o'clock um, a.m. Central Time. In the Eastern Time Zone, that's at noon. Give us another time oh, zone. I'm sorry, 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific Time. There we go. All right. And go ahead and give us Mountain Time, Brian, since you're And also there, 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Uh, without Tom, I was lit waiting for Tom uh, subconsciously. <laughs> that's all right. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a very wonderful week.